just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your week is starting out well. This is the week leading up to Christmas, at least for those folks that celebrate Christmas. If you celebrate something other than Christmas, I wish you the best and uh, a happy new year in the coming 2022. But when you celebrate Christmas and you're older, your kids are grown and they have kids and wives and whatever, things kind of change. You don't really have one celebration on one day. You've got to spread it out so everybody has a chance to get together and celebrate. We have my side. We have my son's in-law's side. We have other nieces and nephews that also have in-laws. So it gets very spread out. It's like a Christmas week, maybe a Christmas couple of weeks sometimes. Well, last night I had the opportunity with my wife and I to uh, get together with my two sons, my daughter-in-law, and two grandkids. It was just our little immediate family getting together like we used to when it was just the four of us, my wife and I and my two sons. But now we've got the additions, and they are very welcome additions. Now, I will see my grandkids, my son and daughter-in-law, and other celebrations down the road, but this was the one time where we were able to get together and just hang out. And it's fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I'll tell you, You know, when I was very young, to me, Christmas was magical. When I got older and had my own kids, it was magical. But then when the kids were grown and uh, we were all adults, it seemed to get a little, I don't know, you just got together, you celebrated, you eat, and you go away. It wasn't quite as fun. But now that I have grandkids, I have the little girl who's 19, 20 months old. We have the boy that's nine years old. Wow, it makes it fun again. It makes it exciting. It's great seeing these kids be excited about Santa Claus or presents or having dinner together and getting together and telling stories and that sort of thing. I really look forward to that now that I have grandchildren. And as we go along during the week, I'll get together with my nieces and nephews and their kids, my grandkids, and my son and daughter-in-law will be there too. So it's going to be a fun week. You know, a lot of people will argue amongst themselves. No, you got to be here during Christmas. No, you got to be here during Christmas. And I will say this, my wife has been the leader in this as far as being uh, flexible. She doesn't care what day it is, just as long as we get a chance to spend a fair amount of time together. And she's right. That's what it's all about. It's not a specific day. It's about the time together. And fortunately, the way it's set up, thankfully, my wife has been instrumental in getting that done. We're able to spend a lot of time with a lot of people over a number of days. And I do look forward to this time of year because there's nothing more... um, genuine to me than being able to get together with family and just have fun. Whether there be presents or not, just be together, talk, and enjoy life a little bit. These days can be a little dark in Minnesota in December. They can get a little snowy and a little cold, and then you throw in the political aspects of this country and the state of our democracy. It can be easy to get depressed, but I got to tell you what, when you got a Christmas tree in the room, 
two little kids running around opening presents, getting excited, having fun. Yeah, you don't think about anything else but those two kids or any kids that you have with you during Christmas. All right, let's talk about what's going on in the news. And, of course, still the big story is Joe Manchin saying he is going to say no to the Build Back Better bill. And it was weird for him to say that before Christmas and uh, just all of a sudden. And I think what happened with Joe Manchin in this situation was he was getting frustrated because they've been negotiating for a year and um, people have been hounding him. People have been begging him. But all of a sudden he just comes out of the blue and says no. And one of the reasons he said he did that is because of the White House staff. Apparently, they made him feel bad or disrespected or something like that. He was very specific to say it's not the president. I know it's not the president, but it's the staff. They know what they did, and I'm just going to say no. Well, this is an emotional reaction. This isn't a thought-out thing because it can't go well for him by doing what he did. But he got upset. He had the audacity to do it on Fox News as opposed to to the president directly or to Congress directly. He said it on Fox News. And that seemed to add insult to injury. So now Joe Manchin, seemingly loving the attention he's gotten, being the one man to choose whether or not we pass the Build Back Better bill. He's got all this power now. I saw somebody interesting, some young radio or TV guy, uh, Charlemagne or something like that, was inter- interviewing Kamala Harris, and he suggested uh, that uh, we call Joe Manchin President Manchin, being sarcastic. And Kamala, eh, she wasn't uh, she wasn't happy about that. She kind of tore into Charlemagne, but. For all intents and purposes, you've got a guy that represents 290,000 people or or um, got voted in by 290,000 people dictating what's going to happen in a country of 300 million. It seems ridiculous. Well, it is kind of ridiculous, but this isn't the first time it happened. In the 90s, uh, Senator Kerry was doing this with Bill Clinton. He almost submarined Bill Clinton's presidency by a bill they were trying to pass then. So it's happened before, and it's happened with both Democrats and Republicans, more so Democrats than Republicans. But Joe Manchin is up here all butthurt because they weren't nice to him or didn't respect him. And here's the thing. Joe, you've been dicking around with this for almost a year. You've been leading people on. You lied to the Congress. You lied to the president. You lied to the American public. And then you got mad. You reacted and said, well, I'm not doing it. Of course, people are going to get frustrated. Of course, people are going to get angry. And of course, people are going to push you on this. What do you expect, Joe? Come on. You got to be kidding me. You can't play this game and tease people that you're going to do something that, hey, we're pretty close here, but it's going to take some time and we'll get something put together. The other thing he did in lying to uh, the president of the United States, he put uh, Joe Biden in a bad situation. Because you'll remember what happened here was that uh, 
the Build Back Better bill was supposed to be passed along with the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Now, Joe Manchin was one of the authors of the bipartisan infrastructure bill, so he wanted that thing bad. The Republicans wanted it bad. It was bipartisan, even though when it came to voting for it, only a few of them voted, but they wanted it. Now, the progressives on the Democratic side said, look, I know how this is going to go. We will vote for the bipartisan bill if you guarantee the Build Back Better bill. But Joe Manchin said, well, let's, how about we do this? How about we pass the infrastructure bill, and then we work on the Build Back Better bill in good faith? <laughs> well, the progressives, they said, that's bullshit. We know you're lying. We don't trust you. And, of course, Joe Manchin was butthurt about that. Even some Democrats came at the progressives and said, you're not being fair here. You're holding out. You're holding this infrastructure bill hostage. You're not being good people. You're not being team players. Well, when it comes down to it, looks like the progressives were right and everybody else was wrong. Now, Joe Manchin gave... Um, Joe Biden, some assurances that they agreed upon some framework in the bill. He agreed upon it. And then Bill, uh, then Joe Biden went to the progressives and said, look, I know what you want to do. I know why you want to do it. But here's the deal. We need to get that bipartisan infrastructure bill passed. Biden needed it to show he can do something. He told the progressives, he said, look, I guarantee you that I'll get Joe Manchin. I got Joe Manchin. We'll get him on board, and we will get the Build Back Better bill passed. Just pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Well, now the progressives, while it was against their better judgment, they said, all right, the president has asked us. He's assured us. We trust the president. Okay, we'll do that. And then it happens. They pass the bipartisan bill. They get to the Build Back Better bill. It doesn't pass as quickly as they expect. It takes time, and they're negotiating back and forth, back and forth. And then all of a sudden, Joe Manchin steps up on Fox News and says, yeah, I'm not going to do it. So the Democratic progressives were proved to be right. They didn't trust Joe Manchin, and they were right. There was no reason to trust him. He was not a man of his word. In fact, he even lied to President Biden. Now, here's the trouble with Biden. Biden needs this bill to pass in order to look good coming into 2022. But he made a promise to the progressives. He made a promise to America. Joe Biden did. But now, Joe Manchin pulls the rug out from underneath him. Now the president looks bad. He looks like he lied to Congress. He lied to America. And he's not going to be able to come through with it. Now, you got to imagine that Joe Biden is pissed off. He is one pissed-off cowboy. Now, I heard that Manchin and Joe Biden talked. And Joe Biden and Manchin both said, well, we're still friends. We're fine. We're just talking. Joe, is he really your friend? He made you look like a fucking fool. Is he really your friend? And part of what you have to understand about this whole process Bernie Sanders said this, it's not done till it's done. 
There's always these fucking ridiculous games when it comes to Congress, when it comes to the House of Representatives. We get people who are reactionary and don't think about what they do, like Joe Manchin, and said, no, I can't vote on this bill. Now, a lot of people took that as Armageddon. That was the end of it. It was never going to pass. They were never going to talk about it again. But Joe Manchin was upset about being disrespected. But here's what Joe Manchin did to himself. He kicked himself in the ass. Because now he's an arch enemy in this country. You see, over 70% of the people in this country were for the Build Back Better deal. 70% of the people wanted the Build Back Better bill. And 70% of the people in this country needed that Build Back Better bill. What a lot of people don't understand is in this bill, people who are paying over $1,000 a month for insulin, diabetics, would now be able to get it for $35. I have a niece who has type 1 diabetes, and she is scared to death about the prospect of being without health care at some point and not be able to be able to afford insulin. Now, you have to understand, with somebody like my niece, who's a young girl, 27 years old, um, if they can't afford insulin, they're going to die. They absolutely need the insulin. And that would be given to them, that fair price, in this Build Back Better bill. Joe Manchin doesn't like it. He's against it. This child tax credit that people have been getting for about a year. This has pulled over 50% of the children out of poverty. That's a big deal. That's pretty effective. Now, if this Build Back Better bill doesn't pass, that's going to get taken away next month. Then all those kids that were taken out of poverty will be plunged back into poverty. Who votes against that, for Christ's sake? But Joe Manchin is saying he's not for that. He's not for adding money to care for the elderly, Medicaid or Medicare. He's not for um, people in the rich end of the spectrum paying their fair share. He's against that by saying, no, I'm not going to sign this. Now, in every bill, there's some pork and there's some things. But this bill, mostly 99% is good for the middle class. But apparently, Joe Manchin doesn't like that. You see, he gets a lot of money from big corporations. He's there to protect their interests, which means we don't get anything from him, and uh, they he sends all the money to the rich. Now, nobody in this country is for that, and Joe Manchin knows it. So now, all of a sudden, he becomes this arch enemy in this country. Everywhere he goes, people are going to say, Joe, you're a piece of shit. Every meme on uh, social media is going to say, Joe, you're a piece of shit. If he goes on TV, they're going to introduce him this way. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, piece of shit. If he's butthurt about the Washington staff or White House staff not being nice to him, He's in fucking trouble because he's already getting a lot of heat throughout the country about this Build Back Better bill. And now by going on Fox News and saying no, 
They're going to be all over his shit everywhere. They're going to be waiting outside his Maserati when he gets in. They'll be waiting outside his $750,000 houseboat that he lives in when he gets out. When he leaves in the morning, they're going to be there. This guy is going to be inundated with hate every step of the way. You want to talk about disrespect? You want to talk about having hurt feelings? Well, Joe, you have just fucking started understanding what that's about. But here's what I want to tell you about this. When you heard the news today, I'm sure a lot of people around the country said, well, that's the end. The Build Back Better deal bill isn't going to happen. Joe Manchin bailed on it, so we're done. And everybody's mad at Joe Manchin. And that's well-placed. You should be mad at Joe Manchin. But a couple of things to consider. What about the 50 Republicans who aren't going to vote for it all? They're against not only the Build Back Better deal, but the voting rights bill. Not one Republican is willing to vote for the betterment of the middle class and the betterment of our voting rights. Not one. And Jesus Christ, why, why are the Democrats putting all their hopes and dreams in one route to get this done? Joe Manchin. They knew what they were dealing with with Joe Manchin. And they put all their hopes and dreams in him, put a lot of pressure on him, of course, which now we find out he doesn't like. And and so that was their only plan. They were going for broke, a Hail Mary, with a guy who didn't want to vote for it from the beginning. There was one point he got angry and he said, I don't care if we get zero for this bill. It doesn't matter. I don't want it. So the Democrats really weren't thinking very well when it came to their plan in, in order to get the Build Back Better bill passed. you got to have some other routes. you got to have some other options. You can't put all your eggs in one basket and hope against hope that it's going to work exactly the way you want it. Because it almost never does. One of the things about the Democrats has always been they've always been perceived as weak. They've been bullied by the Republicans. They've been the Republicans' whipping boy. They've always seemed to gotta get on bended knee and give the Republicans whatever they want, even though they have power. Well, they have a little power right now. A small majority in the House, a small majority in the Senate. It's not much, but it's something. And there comes a time where you've got to stand up and fight back. Do something to get your pound of flesh. So assuming Joe Manchin won't vote for the Build Back Better deal, what do you do? Well, if I'm Joe Biden and the Democrats, I start getting a little gangster, if you will. Maybe Joe Biden signs an executive order giving back or forgiving $50,000 in student debt. That will help a lot of people. That will help this country. Maybe he looks to repealing the 2017 tax cut that Donald Trump gifted the rich with to the tune of $2 trillion. Maybe he says, look, you don't want to pay for the bill? Cool. But we're still taking the fucking money back. 
You don't get to keep the money. We're not going to give you $2 trillion for nothing, for you not to pay taxes. So fuck you. That's going to open up some eyes and ears on the Republican side and in Joe Manchin. Because Joe Manchin is going to get some heat from his rich people. He could maybe, Joe Biden could even do some things with executive orders, with insulin or medical care or that sort of thing. Now, it's not as strong as passing a bill. I understand that. The next president, whoever that might be, could cancel all that. But at least you've got it in the works. And then whatever president or whatever Congress wants to cancel this shit, they've got to go to America and say, look, we're going to cancel the child tax credit. We're going to put you back into poverty. See how that goes over. See what happens. Now, one thing Senator Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, said he's going to do when January comes along in a few weeks He's going to take that bill and the voting rights bill and put it up for a vote. Now, in the House, Nancy Pelosi doesn't put anything up unless she knows for sure it's going to pass. But that's not always the way it's been done. Because it's a much different situation if you've got a vote in the Senate and it's on TV and you have to stand up and say, I'm voting for it or I'm voting against it. Now, if you put the Build Back Better bill up, presumably it's not going to pass because Joe Manchin is going to vote no. But is he? If Joe Manchin knows he has to stand up and make it known that he physically voted no against all these positive things for the country, and let's just say his own state, he's going to have some questions to answer. He may not want to do that. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of a sudden he'll reverse it and vote for it anyway. He won't do that. But what it's going to do is get him into a conversation with the president, and they're going to negotiate again. Because I want you to understand something. As much as this seems like Armageddon and the Build Back Better bill and the Voting Rights Bill is done, it's not going to pass. That's not true. I've said all along the Build Back Better bill will pass, and it will one way or another. It has to pass. It's suicide for Joe Biden if it doesn't pass. So you can bet they will find every possible way to uh, figure out a way to get this passed. And it will pass. And Joe Manchin will be perfectly willing to negotiate some more because he doesn't want to stand up in front of the cameras and say, no, I don't want to help people. No, I don't want voting rights. That's uh, bad optics, as they say in Washington, D.C. So as much as you might be angry at Joe Manchin right now, and it's well-placed, we all should be mad at him. He lied to the president. He lied to the country. He lied to Congress. He pulled the rug out from him unexpectedly because he was a little upset because people were being mean to him. As they say, he ain't seen nothing yet. People are going to be real mean to him every fucking place he goes over this situation. But when it comes up that he'll have to vote sometime in January to vote against this, sometime between now and then, he'll be talking to President Biden again. He'll be talking to Congress. In fact, I know Joe Manchin today called President Biden. He called. She called uh, Representative uh, 
Jayapal, too, who's with the progressives in the the Democratic Party, uh, with the House. He's not jumping ship yet. He can't afford to. He's going to die a thousand deaths if he just follows through with what he said. He was being a reactionary. He wasn't thinking before he talked. So sometime between now and, I don't know, mid to late January, there's going to be something. There's going to be a vote on these two bills in the Senate. They've passed the House. They're going to be in the Senate. Now, it's conceivable they won't pass, but even if they don't pass, there's going to be a flurry of excitement, and they're going to come back again with something different and get it to pass. At one point or another, the voting rights bill and the Build Back Better bill will pass. Trust me on this. I've said this all along, and while it seems all over now, don't worry about that. That doesn't. That's not the way it works in D.C. That's not the way it works in Congress. These people have been dicking around with it for a long time, playing games, posturing, posing, doing whatever. But in the end, it will get done. Joe Biden can't afford to not get it done. And in spite of the fact that Joe Manchin has some power at this point, Joe Biden is the president of the United States. He is the most powerful man in the world. If it can be done, Joe Biden can get it done. But maybe, just maybe, he's got to be. St- he's got to stop being this nice, kindly old man. He's going to have to get tough. The Democrats aren't known for that. But at this point, you have to understand, the Democrats are not just fighting for their own party. They are fighting for democracy in this country. They are fighting for the well-being of people in need in this country. Losing is not an option. Not for Joe Biden, not for the progressive, not for the House of Representatives, and not for the Senate. Not even for Joe Manchin. He can play this game all he wants, but he's going to have to give in, and the bill will pass. So be upset, be mad, but don't be scared, because it will get done. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, we're going into a third year of COVID-19 and the following variants, Delta and Omicron. We've seen some horrific things with COVID-19. More than 800,000 Americans have died because of COVID-19. When it first started, when I first heard about this pandemic and we were going to be locked down, I thought, you know, man, This is going to be two weeks, maybe a month, and then it'll be over with and we'll be good. If you'd have told me of what we were looking into and what was ahead for us, I would have lost my mind. I think we all lost our mind. How could we possibly cope with that situation? How could we possibly cope with 800,000 Americans dying, people we know and love near us dying? How would we cope with that? Well, Americans showed their stuff because we powered through this. 
we pushed through this. We've lost a lot of people, but those of us that are still here are still standing. Now, we've got a lot of arguments about the uh, vaccination. And let me just say in no uncertain terms, two things are certain. If Donald Trump had done his job in the beginning, when it first started, we would not be here today. We would not have 800,000 people dead. No way, no how. And then when the vaccinations came around, if everybody had gotten a vaccination, we would not be here and the way we are right now. It would not be the case. But we still have at least 40% of this country not vaccinated. They went through COVID-19. That went by the wayside. Then came Delta. Delta was the dominant virus in this country. But guess what? We heard about Omicron, what, two, three weeks ago? Well, today, today, Omicron is the most dominant virus in this country today. It's overtaken Delta. Now, here's what you need to know about Omicron. What you need to know is we don't know enough about it yet. Some people are saying it's less um, less severe than Delta. We don't know that for sure. The one thing we do know for sure is that it's far more infectious, far more infectious. I heard a, a stat here that is absolutely frightening. When Omicron first came around, it was like 0.04 infectious. 0.04% of the cases they found were Omicron. And a week or two later, or a week later, it was 0.3% amongst all the uh, all the COVID-19 or the uh, virus infections throughout the country. That was a week ago, 0.3%. You know what it is now? 73% of all COVID infections right now are Omicron. In three weeks, it's become the most dominant variant in the country. Now, here's what we do know. If you're fully vaccinated and you have two shots or the one shot Johnson & Johnson, you're okay. You'll be fine. You might catch it. If you could catch it, you probably will catch it, but you're not going to get sick and put in the hospital. But the best way to protect yourself from this new dominant virus, Omicron, is to get the booster, because that makes a big difference in this thing. You could still get the infection, but it's much more rare. And if you do get the infection, you're less likely to give it to somebody else if you've had the booster. And more than that, you're not going to get real sick, you're not going to go into the hospital, and you're not going to die. But that's not to say people aren't going to get sick and go in the hospital and die. The fact of the matter is, hospitals all around the country are stacked with patients, COVID patients, or Delta or Omicron patients. They're filled they're absolutely filled, and all of these people are the non-vaccinated people. Now, we can argue about get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. I just want to say this up front, though. If you have your full dose of vaccination, two of Moderna, two of Pfizer, or one of Johnson & Johnson, 
you need to get the booster. It's almost not even a booster now. It fills out the full requirement for vaccinations. If you have the vaccinations you needed at first, you need the booster. You need as much protection as you can get from Omicron. And clearly, this shit is going wild. It's far more catchy, and it's spreading very quickly. I mean, New York City is shutting things down because it's so rampant in New York City. They're shutting down sporting events because of Omicron. It's spreading that fast. They've said that the booster will protect you more from Omicron, keep you safe, keep you out of the hospital. So if you've already been vaccinated, there should be no question, no delay, but get the fucking booster. It's pretty simple. Now, the real problem is all those people that aren't vaccinated at all, that are afraid to get vaccinated or think it's some conspiracy theory. With the way this Omicron is spreading so quickly, it's almost certain that everybody that's not vaccinated will get the Omicron virus. Now, not all will go into the hospital and die. Certainly, that's not the case. But a lot will. A lot will. A lot lot of people will get sick. A lot of people will die that didn't need to. And that is a fucking shame. That is tragic. And the people that don't want to be vaccinated won't realize it until somebody close to them has died. And then it's too late to save them, and if you have any sense at all, you'll get the vaccination after all that. It's unfortunate that it took somebody near you to die to actually go out and protect yourself. But still, there'll be people, even when people around them die, will say, I'm not getting the vaccination. So this Omicron in the next few weeks, in the heat of the winter, not heat of the winter, that's kind of a misnomer, in the middle of the winter, when we know there are surges, They're expecting in the next three weeks another surge of Omicron throughout this country. It's highly infectious, far more infectious than Delta or COVID, and it is going to spread quickly. We don't know completely the impact it's going to have on all those people that contract the virus. But Jesus Christ, why would you even bother to risk it? But they will. And it's going to cause immense problems in this country. It's going to put a lot of people in hospitals. It's going to cause some people to die. Now, those people that aren't vaccinated will say, well, what do you care if we're going in the hospitals? And what do you care if we're going to die? Well, I have to be perfectly honest with you. If you know you can save yourself and protect yourself and you don't, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. I don't really care. There's nothing I can say to you to change your mind. So have at it. Take your risk. And if you win, great. But if you don't, don't come crying to me. But that's not what I'm worried about. When these COVID, Delta, or Omicron patients stack up our hospitals and somebody breaks a leg, has a heart attack, gets sick in some way, and they can't find a spot, In a hospital, they can't be treated because it's stacked full of anti-vaccine stupid fucking Republicans or Trumplicans. Then I have a fucking problem. Because 
you say you're only putting yourself at risk, but you're risking all the people you can spread it to, the children that aren't vaccinated. And now you're going to stack up the hospital so people who are truly sick, that truly need help, won't get it because they're too busy dealing with your dumb ass. So I'll say this one more time. If you are vaccinated, if you've got the two shots or the one shot, get the booster. Don't say, I've had enough, I'm not going to do it, I don't have time, I can't do it, I don't know where to do it. Go on the internet. Say, where do I get my booster shot? Guarantee you, some drugstore or something will come up and say, this is where you go, go through this process, schedule it, do it, and get the goddamn booster. If you've come this far, you might as well go all the way and keep yourself ultimately protected. It's a smart thing to do. The people who won't get vaccinated, not much I can say about it. I hope it doesn't cause normal people a problem with getting hospital beds when they are truly sick with serious problems, cancer, car crashes, um, whatever, appendectomies. If you can't go in and get uh, care in a hospital because it's too packed up with COVID or Delta or Omicron people, that's a fucking problem. You're inflicting your stupidity on fair, decent, honest people who got vaccinated and protected themselves. It's not right. But doctors have to take care of whoever comes, has to make sure they've got the proper care. But these dumbasses that won't get vaccinated are the ones that are putting other people in peril, risking their lives. And that's unacceptable, frankly. That's bullshit. All right, next up, we are going to talk about the House Select Committee. There's a couple of things that are kind of interesting about this House Select Committee. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Ali Alexander. I think he's one of the leaders of the Proud Boys, and he was the leader and founder of the Stop the Steal Foundation, you know, the big lie. He's the one that was out at the insurrection. He's the one that was part of the insurrection. He testified in front of the House Select Committee. And you know what he said? What he said is, let me just find it here. He said that he, Mo Brooks, Andy Biggs, and Paul Gosar schemed to put maximum pressure on Congress while they were vote, voting to certify the election. That means the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Of last year. He said that Mo Brooks, Andy Biggs, and Paul Gosar, all representatives in the House of Representatives, helped him, met with him to scheme to make it harder for the uh, Congress to vote on, on uh, certifying the election. That tells you a lot, right? We've always had the belief that there were some people in, sitting in Congress that had something to do with this, help with the planning help with the uh, communications and the facilitation of the entire insurrection. And if that is proved to be true, we've got some people that need to be expelled from the House of Representatives and the Senate, too, if it involved them. Well, now, Ali Alexander, part of the insurrectionists, part of the Proud Boys and founder of Stop the Steel Foundation, said, oh, yeah, we sat down and talked to Three guys, Mo Brooks, Paul Gosar, Andy Biggs. We planned it all out. We were going to make it difficult for them. Well, difficult they did. What they fucking did was 
mounted an insurrection, crashed into the building, temporarily stopped the whole constitutional process of certifying the election. Ellie Alexander just said, that's true, that sitting members of Congress helped them to do that. Well, that's fucking troubling. These people shouldn't be worried about subpoenas. They should be worried about indictments. And they are going to come. Because you see, what's going on now with the House Select Committee is that they're investigating certain instances where they can refer these people to the DOJ for criminal criminal activity to be indicted, to be tried, and ultimately be found guilty. See, that's what's going on with the House Select Committee. Things are moving along. We haven't seen a lot of stuff because it's all been behind closed doors. But we're getting more information every day. We're hearing about all the things that are happening. Come January, late January or so, we're going to see the televised hearings with these same people coming out saying these things in public, exposing the sitting members of Congress who helped the insurrectionist. And then things are going to get fucking nuts. When this evidence comes out and the world knows and the country knows exactly what happened and who did it, then we're looking at some expulsions. Then we're looking at some indictments. Then we're looking at some trials. And it's going to get very, very fucking ugly. So they talked to Ali Alexander, and that went pretty well. They got a lot of information about that. But then... They just recently sent out a request, and this is the first one they've done like this. The House Select Committee had sent out a request to Representative Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, a sitting member of Congress, to testify in front of the House Select Committee. This is the first sitting member of Congress. Now, if he refuses, of course, he'll get a subpoena. If he gets a subpoena and still refuses, well, then he'll probably go to the DOJ for criminal contempt of Congress. But they laid out a few things about Scott Perry when they sent this request. They said, hey, look, we have evidence that you were working with Jeffrey Clark. Jeffrey Clark was the guy who drafted the letters to uh, the swing states to try to get them to not certify the elections, to flip them for Donald Trump. Donald Trump was working with Jeffrey Clark. Scott Perry was working with Jeffrey Clark. He was work. In fact, he introduced Jeffrey Clark to Donald Trump, and then Donald Trump put him in the DOJ or in the uh, yeah the DOJ as a, a deputy attorney general. And then when they wanted to send these letters out to the swing states and the A.G. Rosen didn't want to do it, what Donald Trump wanted to do was fire Rosen and install Jeffrey Clark as the A.G. so Jeffrey Clark could do his bidding as the attorney general. Well, we all know what happened. Everybody in the DOJ said, whoa, that's a bridge too far. You fucking do that. We're all resigning. And that's not going to look good for you. And, of course, he backed off, and he didn't do it. But here's the deal. Scott Perry had been working with Jeffrey Clark. He introduced Jeffrey Clark to Donald Trump and communicated with him while he was in the DOJ during this insurrection thing and during the attempt to overthrow the election. So they said, look, Scott, we have all this evidence. We know you know a lot about this 
and we want to hear about it. So you see what they did there. They said, we want you to come talk, but we know you're going to probably deny coming, so we'll have to send you a subpoena. And then you'll deny coming with the subpoena. But hey, look, motherfucker, we got all this evidence against you. Seditionist behavior against you. Maybe even treason by you. You better come sit down, because shit's about to get ugly. You better cooperate here, or you could go to jail for a long fucking time. But what's interesting, this is the first sitting member of Congress that's been asked to testify. He ain't going to be the last, I guarantee you that. No. They're going to go to Andy Biggs. They're going to go to Mo Brooks. They're going to go to Jim Jordan. I mean, we heard that Jim Jordan already sent a text to um, the chief of staff suggesting how and why they should do the uh, overthrowing of the election and the government. That's not going to bode well for Jim Jordan. And this Scott Perry, he's got some problems too. In the coming weeks, we're going to see some more sitting members of Congress asked to testify. And then when they decide not to testify, they'll go through the process. Ultimately, they'll be forced to testify. Or if they don't testify, they will then be sent to the DOJ to be charged with criminal contempt of Congress. But that's not it for them. You understand the things they are doing or the things that they did during January 6th, before and after the fact, were criminal. Just because they don't testify, that doesn't get them off scot-free. They still have to atone and answer to the criminal complaints when they come down. And trust me, they are coming down. Then it's not a subpoena where they have a choice to come in. Then it's an indictment, and they'll go out and get the motherfuckers and drag them in. That's what they'll do. They all know this is happening. So what we're going to see is a lot of people acting out, acting wild, making crazy claims, doing everything because they are fucking desperate at this point. They're in some deep trouble. The House Select Committee has done a great job of starting at the bottom and working their way to the top. And the fact of the matter is they're going all the way to the top. Somebody asked, are they going to subpoena Donald Trump? Is Donald Trump um, a possible criminal referral? Now, they didn't say yes, but they didn't say no. They simply said no one is above the law. And if it applies to anyone from the president on down, they will be subpoenaed and they will be referred. Understand that that's what they're doing here. They're working their way to the top and they're getting close now. They got their first sitting member of Congress, and there will be more. And these fucking people will be screaming like stuck pigs. They will be upset. They may or may not testify. But what you have to understand, it really doesn't matter. They've already deposed more than 300 people. All the information they have, they know. They don't have to hear it from Jim Jordan. They've been told about Jim Jordan. They've been told about Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, and all these fucks. It's probably in their best interest to sit down and try to change the narrative and tell their story. But instead, they're going to ignore it because Donald Trump wants them to do that. Well, that's okay. They'll go to uh, the DOJ for criminal contempt, and then they'll be exposed for other criminal activity. And when those criminal referrals come out from the House Select Committee, when it's all said and done... 
these guys are going to have even bigger problems than they think they have now. So the House Select Committee is doing their job. They're doing a good job, actually. And once they finally start doing some of these on television during prime time, then you're going to see some excitement and some shit to be stirred up. Because the general public will finally see it. And I'll tell you what. Here's what I learned from the Watergate um, trials or hearings that went on back when I was a young boy, 12, 13 years old. It gets crazy. It gets to be a circus. Everybody rushes home to watch these things. And that's what's going to happen in this case. Because what happened in this case is far beyond anything that happened with Richard Nixon and Watergate. This is going to be more sensational, more salacious, and people are going to thrive on it because they love scandal. They love uh, gossip, and this is going to be full of it, and everybody's going to learn what happened, and it's going to be hard to look at these clowns any different than insurrectionists and criminals. The select committee has to pick it up a bit and start getting this happening because they're running out of time. But they still have plenty of time to do what they need to do. We might as well just let them do it the way they're doing it. They're successful to this point. We have to presume they know what they're doing and they'll get it done in due time. But trust me, sitting members of Congress, Mark Meadows, Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr., these people are going to be exposed, and they are end up, going to end up paying a big price. And it's coming down the pike. Trust me on that. It is definitely coming. Last thing I want to talk about real quickly. There are two court cases going on right now. They are both, uh, both have the juries in deliberation. First, there's the Kim Potter jury in Minnesota. You remember, she's the one that shot Dante Wright thought she had a taser. Instead, it was a gun. Shot him dead. She sat on the stand and cried and weeped and pouted and did everything. She put on a great show. But now the jury has it, and they have to decide if she's guilty or not guilty. Now, she was charged with manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter. And people have groused about that and said she, would have been, she should have been charged with something bigger than that, murder or whatever. But here's the thing. When a district attorney decides to charge somebody or a prosecuting attorney decides to prosecute somebody, they have to pick something they know they can win. There might be some question if you want to call it murder. Did she really mean it? Didn't she really mean it? Was it a mistake? Now, regardless of what you think, you still have to sell this to a jury. And if it's going to be a hard to sell, they aren't going to charge you with that. They're charging her with involuntary manslaughter. That means she shot Dante Wright without having the intention of shooting and killing Dante Wright. Well, theoretically, that's a slam dunk case. That's exactly what she hap- what happened. That's exactly what she said happened. That's exactly what we saw on the video. So she should be convicted of that. Now, if she's not convicted, oh, some shit's going to fly. Trust me on this. There are going to be people in this town in Minnesota that are going to be screaming their heads off. And I hope everything stays calm, but I can't guarantee that. They're going to be upset, and they are, they're in a good position to be upset. Anybody's going to be upset if this woman walks free. It's going to be a big problem. So we'll see what happens with that. Now, the other trial that's going on that's 
gone to the jury and they are deliberating is a Ghislaine Maxwell trial. You know, the buddy of Jeffrey Epstein, the child sex trafficker, the pimp. She recruited kids. She groomed kids. She even participated in the illicit activities. She's in trouble. Now, a lot of what was going on in that trial, we didn't see all of it. And that's kind of weird. That's kind of kind of worrisome, to be perfectly honest with you. Now, Jeffrey Epstein, when he did get convicted of pedophilia, he got off easy because the government let them off easy, let him off easy, but it, because apparently he had a lot of important names in a black book. Now, this black book has been out there in the court case, but we really haven't seen it in the public. Now, the two things we got to look at with Ghislaine Maxwell, is she going to be convicted? There should be no question about it. They have witnesses, they have evidence, they have everything. There's no way she gets off. That doesn't mean she won't, but there's no way she should get off. And then what is she charged with and how much time does she get? You know, she might get convicted, but if they give her some weak-ass sentence, then that's a problem too. So we need to watch these two court cases quickly. There could be verdicts on both of these within days or tomorrow, for that matter. Who the hell knows? But these are both very important cases. And we need to see justice done with Kim Potter in Minnesota and Ghislaine Maxwell. There needs to be justice done in order for people to be confident about their judicial system. These people were criminals. They have been proven to be criminals, and they mean they need to be held accountable. Now we'll see if the judicial system works, and in fact, they are held accountable. All right, we're going to wrap things up for yet another Rational Boomer podcast. You have questions or comments, send them to me by email at rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm, look for Rational Boomer, and then uh, you can leave a voicemail if you like. Always look forward to hearing from you. All right, let's wrap things up, and we will be back with you very shortly. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.